previously on giving the mic to the wrong person. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm actually a relatively new Portland DSA member. I became active in the political education working group last summer. Mm. Um, and that's how I got involved with this conference. So this was actually like my first big project. Mm. But yeah, I'm um, an active Portland member. I love comics and um, nerdy stuff. do you work on um i have worked on just my own stuff so um like i said i um i still work with my austin friends on our micro press um palm press is the name of the press mm -hmm. pomegranate magazine is our blog um we just had a successful kickstarter for our second really big anthology awesome it's called eternal witchcraft it's a comic spell book um, previous to that, so I have I have three stories in that actually because um, it was a collection of some previous works along with new work. Mm. I have um, a story in another anthology coming out that I was not part of publishing called the Shout Out Anthology. It's published by um, uh, a press called Toronto Comics, mm. um, and it's a queer YA anthology. Um, so I have a story in there that attempts to be a kind of like post-colonial queer fantasy uh, set in um, like a tropical island. Mm -hmm. um, my heritage is Cuban, so mm -hmm. that's a little bit where that comes from. Um, and yeah, a couple other just like small press things. Um, and... You know, I'm working on more. I I have a couple sort of like independent uh, little one shots that I'm wanting to do soon. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm you know I'm hoping to break into some work for hire at some point soon. But we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, were you involved at all with like any sort of like organizing or DSA stuff back back in Texas, or was it kind of like no. wasn't really until here uh, uh, coming you know heading to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, it wasn't until coming to the Pacific Northwest that I became involved. Um, in Texas, it's a completely different um, landscape. I think in the Northwest because the Democrats do have sort of such a power monopoly it gives us a lot of space mm -hmm. to keep pushing further and further left mm -hmm. um in texas it's a fight for survival yeah so my activism was more um it was uh reproductive justice based more um along the lines of kind of like nonprofit work that kind of thing um and just like um really kind of like not specifically socialist mm. um grassroots organizing um just around rights to survive yeah um so no it uh i was not involved with dsa at all before then um yeah uh 
there's I have heard uh, lots of interesting things about the Austin chapter. Um, That's one way to put it. Yeah. Um, but was not ever involved with them. And I'm, I'm curious to see um, what that chapter um, will continue to do. Um, there are lots of other chapters in Texas, though. I know that Houston in this past election had some really big electoral wins. Oh, yeah. Which is really exciting. And I actually love Houston. Um, Texas overall gets a bad rap. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, in our political circles talk about Austin as being sort of like the more lefty place or whatever. But um, I really love Houston. Um, it's an interesting place and I think a lot of opportunity to organize there because it is an oil town basically mm-hmm. um, so my um, I had a buddy from undergrad who moved down there for grad school mm. and the air quality was such that his it activated his his allergies oh my god yeah so we pretty much dropped out of grad school and mm. uh, moved to Atlanta oh yeah another place with excellent air quality <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, but, but it just reminded me. Yeah, it's just the thing about Texas is that because when we were talking about this with the, uh, we did, had a previous episode talking to Derek Varn, mm-hmm. who is um, who grew up in Macon. Oh yeah, and, Macon, Georgia. Oh yes. Uh huh. And but it's kind of a thing where it's like a lot of from a lot of like um, you know high status establishment like professional media mm-hmm. uh, like Manhattanite you know Manhattanite cosmopolitan liberal type. It's yeah. a thing of they um, like with a. And I think the way they talk about it, because it's kind of because they, you know, they, you know, their 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 ideas are the ones that filter down in their disc the way the styles of discourse filter down to everybody else because mm-hmm. they do the media mm-hmm. is that a lot of them don't seem to be able to reconcile the concepts of like, um, well, in one case there was the concept of both Georgia and Atlanta mm-hmm. in the same, but also like Texas and Austin mm-hmm. or like Texas and El Paso or Texas and yep. Houston. Yeah. And, um, or even Texas and Brownsville or Laredo yeah. or, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, um, and it, it, uh, and it's kind of, or dare I say college station. Um, and it, yeah, they just kind of, it's, it just becomes some sort of like nebulous other mm-hmm. that it's just t- upon whom all, you know, all bad things must be cast. Yeah, I know. I remember my first time ever vi- visiting Seattle and my husband and I were still dating mm-hmm. and, you know, living in Texas. And um, we like went to this block party in his parents' neighborhood. And, you know, we're like, yeah, we're visiting from Texas, blah, blah, blah. And, like, the very first thing out of this motherfucker's mouth was, like, shit-talking how horrible Texas is. I'm like, you have never been there. Like, you don't know. And it's like, you know, they s- I think that people generalize it as this, like, conservative hellhole kind of thing. But it's like, uh, Texas literally used to be Mexico. Mm-hmm. It should still be Mexico. And there are tons of tons of people of color there who are screwed over and completely disenfranchised um, because Texas is one of the most gerrymandered states, one of, if not the most, then the second most gerrymandered state in this country. Like, the political power in Texas is hurting the people of Texas far more than you will ever be affected by it. So go fuck yourself! Yeah, it's kind of a thing where, um, yeah, only the... the, um only the South is racist. Yeah, and no one in Ch- and nobody in Chicago or Boston c- ever could be historically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, no one in New York or Chicago, the uh, or not Chicago, no one in New York or Boston, like the like strongholds of like capitalism and slavery could ever be racist. Yeah. Funny how that works, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's just start off with, hi, how are you doing? Can you introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Hi, my name is Sage Jones. I'm one of the co-chairs of Whatcom DSA. Um, I'm originally from the greater New Orleans area, but I've been organizing in Northwest Washington for about three years. And yeah, we're working on a lot of stuff right now. We just got our housing committee off the ground. We're going to be running a local electoral election. We're running Hanan Suarez, who's our other, our other co-chair for city council. So that's very exciting. And our political education has kind of been the bread and butter of our chapter for a long time. So got to have it. Yep. Our uh, one of our political education chairs is probably going to bring her dog into here momentarily. Yay. Gina's one of the political education chairs. Oh, yeah. A big one. She helped spearhead the, our summer day school last year that we put on in March or something. Ah, we oh, wanted sorry, to come down for that. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Tell me who you is. Where are you from? Hey, it's Lovestruck, he, him, from the Whatcom Democratic Socialists of America, which is 90 miles north of Seattle, to anyone who doesn't know where Whatcom County is. And it is my 32nd birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the noise that the jock plays. It's my first time being on a podcast. Excellent. Well, did, it, uh, did you ever have friends who did college radio? I, I did not. It's a lot like that, only we're recording to tape, not over a 200-watt station, mainly listened to by <laughs> mostly, but not completely yeah. stoned, uh, yeah. pizza delivery dudes. Didn't your brother do college radio? Um, I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> this fact. It might be true. I will not divulge that information. <laughs> but yeah, this is what podcasting is. It's conversations. Sometimes they're really formal. Sometimes they're morning zoo. Unfortunately, sometimes they're a bit too morning zoo. Sometimes they're like straight like interview. Sometimes it's a mix of everything. And then at one point, we talk about Cedar Point for 10 minutes because everybody on the show was found out that they're from the Midwest. <laughs> Let's see. What, I guess what's your, what has been your feelings about the or reactions to our first ever Northwest Unity Conference? I loved it. It was great. The uh, organizers were, were fantastic. You can tell that hundreds of hours of labor went into this conference. Food was delicious. It was good facilitation at all moments. I liked that there were three socials. And the debate was surprisingly productive, humane, constructive. Yeah, again, like well-moderated, you know, cutting people off that are uh, over their time. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when they scale this up for Atlanta. Yes. Also, the fact that we're having this in August. Atlanta. Uh, how have you felt? Yeah, I had similar feelings. I thought it was a great conference. This is our second conference with the region. We did the leadership training in October. Mm -hmm. So it was nice because this was about three times as big as our leadership training was. It went just as well. I, I saw a great mix of old faces and new faces. I'm so happy to hear report backs from a lot of the organizers mm -hmm. that I met in October and how much their chapters have grown and the victories that they've had. Yeah, getting together with other socialists is always so inspiring and like I feel like I just like level up every time I do like a 
uh, thing with other chapters. Yeah, it's the contrast is amusing between talking about the shit online, make you fucking run screaming. Yeah. <laughs> you Punch meet me up, in the throat. Yeah, <laughs> you meet you hang out with people in real time, and it, it's great. It's invigor. I guess invigorating is probably like the closest word I can think of. It's life giving. Yeah, it charges up my socialist batteries. Mm-hmm. That and and that's the thing is because we are in the particular social media construction that we are in. Social media can radicalize you, can de-radicalize you, can inform you in certain ways, but due to how, you know, who got popular when and the kind of, like, behaviors yeah. that get emphasized, I don't think it's emphasized enough that, yeah, this is fun, but, like, the whole point is at some point is to get out there and to meet and got to meet and meet space. Yeah. Yep. I think another thing that's great about our particular region is we've got, like, some really strong region-specific priorities that are great points of unity. Like, we're all doing some degree of anti-fascist work. Housing is a huge issue. In Bellingham, we've got a 0.24% vacancy rate. So it's just a fucking nightmare. It sounds like it's like that all over the country, but particularly in this region. Um, Even up in Vancouver, BC. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds like their tenants union is is going pretty well up in Vancouver. Has any tenant union or tenant organizing taken off in Bellingham or or around your county? Yeah, we were on the organizing. Love Truck and I were both on the organizing committee for the Bellingham Tenants Union. It was founded in part by another DSA member. It's been around for like 18 months. What would you say? Yeah, I'm glad that we we got to the Bellingham Tenants Union. That's something I was excited to talk about today on my first ever podcast. Sage and I started organizing the Bellingham Tenants Union 15 months ago. It became a 501c4. Uh, That's a political nonprofit that can endorse candidates in October of 2017. Hmm. It transitioned from a paper organization to a membership organization between January and May when we had our first official Bellingham Tenants Union kickoff that was attended by about 100 tenants. 120, yeah. 120, holy smokes. Yeah, so so I'm personally very passionate about housing. Yeah, we've done a lot of organizing through Bellingham Tenants Union, and we just approved our housing standing committee for Whatcom DSA. So through Whatcom DSA, we're going to try to bring like a more radical, openly socialist face to the housing crisis. We just released our first press release because the biggest landlord in downtown Bellingham just evicted 79 elderly folks and he's gonna like build like a hotel and like apartment combo and yeah he's he's won awards from the city like he's beloved for quote like big big quotes around revitalizing downtown Bellingham but really like he just got rich off of public money through tax breaks and HUD funny how that works yeah So, fuck Bob Hall. It feels like we were a little late on the mark, and we could have done something similar to the Tacoma tenants organizing, but unfortunately, he evicted them right before Christmas, so a lot of people were out of town. We just missed that opportunity, but next time him or any of the other big landlords fuck up, we're planning on doing campaigns around individual landlords. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? So much to add. Yes, building on that, I can't tell you how many people this weekend came up to me and said, we got to make a Pacific Northwest housing justice working group. You know, And I'm asking myself, why don't we have a housing national working group? 
that just like Medicare for the, the national DSA, Medicare for All working group, which does uh, group purchases of printing, which is dramatically cheaper than printing at a small scale. That's because offset printing is a different printing technique. So once you're, you're running big, big, big numbers, I'm talking like above 5,000, things get way cheaper. So I'd love to see the same thing done around housing where we come up with rhetoric and slogans, but we, we pool our money and, and we get a lot more bang for our buck, kind of like housing campaigns in a box. Uh, but that's not the only thing. You know, we have a national Medicare for all weekend of action. And I think you could do the same thing with housing. You could say, okay, it's the first weekend in May and people are looking for housing all across the country right now, specifically in college towns where the, the leases are synced up to September 1st of the fall schedule. Right in time for the students. Exactly. And so May is a great time to knock on some doors and say, hey, are you having trouble finding housing? You know, how's, how's your current housing situation? Have those conversations at the doorstep and bring people into tenants unions, bring them into the Democratic Socialists of America, and bring them into membership-led organizations where it's not just another NGO that's leading them down an illusion that they, they can call their senator. Yeah, we don't have time for pleasantries with housing. It's a crisis, and people are literally on the streets for it. Like, Whatcom County has 120,000 people, and we have 3,500 homeless people. It's bad, so we're excited to organize around housing. Um, how can folks plug in or get in touch with you or refer to the three people in, the, in that region who are within driving distance who might hear this? Can, how can folks plug in? Yeah, um, we're on Twitter. Uh, we've got a Gmail account. It's just Whatcom, W-H-A-T-C-O-M, D-S-A at gmail.com. We've got a Facebook. You're welcome to set up a one-on-one. We'd be happy to meet with anybody to talk about the issues that they're personally facing. Yeah, I think it's an open question how we organize across America around housing. There's a growing housing movement. It's obviously in its infancy. Organizing tenants is not the same thing as organizing workers, but it's also not that dissimilar. So one of the questions that we have right now in Bellingham is whether we take an approach where we walk into a working class neighborhood, we start knocking on doors of known rental units. So we're not wasting our time knocking on doors of people that own their own home. That's one approach. That's the approach the Bellingham Tenants Union has taken, and many others have as well. I think there's another approach that might be more effective. Uh, I know that there are some comrades in Seattle that are taking this approach and also in the East Bay. And that is organizing right where you're at. So talking to your neighbors, talking to them about the same landlord that you share and working on small issues first, right? So maybe there's a lawnmower that management is running at seven in the morning when everyone wants that to be more around noon or 1 p.m. on a Saturday when people have off work. Well, if I'm just going into a working class neighborhood and knocking on doors, I don't know all of these individual details and I don't know the management involved. I can't flex in any meaningful way. But if I'm knocking on the doors of the people that I live with, we share the same landlord and we share the same management company and we share the same lawnmower that's going off on a Saturday morning at when uh, you know the email said it would be noon. So yeah, it gives icebreakers at the door to begin to form those embryonic relationships and invite people into teeny tiny wins where you can make collective action and then you have now established a working relationship that could expand out from there. 
I know that they're doing that in the East Bay with tenants and neighborhood councils, TANC, T-A-N-C. And I know it's going on within Seattle DSA. So I support that model of organizing, although I haven't yet done it myself. <laughs> um, right. And I think that's something that a national housing working group within DSA could be studying and scaling out and definitely getting our just group buys of flyers to me seems like a pretty easy first step. Also, for our electorally minded folks, um, we are running a city council campaign. This is going to be our first attempt at local politics through city council. To learn how. Yeah, definitely. So I'm really excited about how we're putting the campaign together. The general membership, we looked at who was in our membership. We decided who we were going to run. They didn't come to us. Hanan Suarez is is who we're going to run. He's super well-spoken. His politics are great. He was born in Venezuela. He was a medic in Iraq. That experience radicalized him. And when he came back, he immediately started organizing with Iraq veterans against the war. He's been involved in Seattle Socialist Alternative and in ISO. So he's not new to leftist politics. I think he's really going to hold strong to his his socialist roots. Uh, what's his name again? Hanan Suarez. Hanan, uh, how do you pronounce it? How do you spell his first name? Sure. I always forget if it's two N's. Or it one. is C-H-A-N-A-N and then Suarez is S-U-A-R-E-Z. And watch out, folks. This is a uh, rocket ship taken off. We're going to go places with this guy. Awesome. Sweet. Any any last word? Anything you want to shout out or, or claim to the uh, veritable endless dozens who may or may not hear this? Yeah, rent is theft. No, <laughs> nobody should be paying rent. We shouldn't be cloistered in these sad suburbs and decrepit apartment blocks in our cities. We should be living with our friends. We should be living with our family, people that we want to live near. Our lives could be so much better if we had the free association, the material free association that the liberal and capitalist class proclaim that we have. You know, just being able to live next to people that you like. And when you don't like them anymore, being able to move to, you know, live with other people that you like or, or just have some alone time. And that's the cause of a lot of domestic violence. So one of the things that I think we are tasked with as socialists is connecting movements. And, and housing is not just a, a roof over my head and uh, shelter from the storm. It's also a feminist issue. It's, it's a partnership issue. It's people trapped in abusive relationships Yes. Um, issue. Yeah, uh, we like to say at the Bellingham Tenants Union and at Wacom Democratic Socialists of America that tenants' rights are workers' rights. If your union, like the L.A., shout out to the L.A. teacher strike, that's fucking rad what y'all did. But if you win uh, a wage increase, guess where it goes? Your landlord's just going to slurp it up. So without rent control, you're just making the landlord class, you know, have another Tesla yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for having us on. I'm looking forward to hearing perspectives from other folks at the Unity Conference. I'm glad we were all able to get together, and I hope we're able to do this on a semi-regular basis. It's, it's good. It's good to get together. I can't encourage people enough to, if you're visiting another city, see if they have a DSA. Try to go to any event they have because we have so much to teach each other. That's that's that. Many, many fights, one struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. Excellent.
Would there anything else you'd really want to uh, you'd want to uh, the talk about related about? to the conference? Sure. No, I mean I think we covered everything. I think um, I will say that even though it was really stressful um, mm-hmm. getting all this together, I basically it was basically my second job um, for a couple months. That's intense. Um, it was really intense, but. It, you know, I think it really paid off, and I'm actually really proud of how it went down. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, the main lessons for me were how eager comrades are to work together, mm-hmm. how much our comrades are working in good faith, and how obscured that can be, like, online or right. whatever. When you're actually meeting each other in person, it's so clear that so many of us are working in good faith. Um, and the other lesson is that um, we need to, we really do need to work on our capacity and like um, grow, like training and growing organizers um, so that, you know, a new member doesn't have a choice between like showing up to the bake sale and organizing a regional conference. You know, mm-hmm. it's like those are the two choices. Yeah. Um, so we need to like work on, um, you know, building the capacity of our active members to like do the work in a way that is accessible for, for them mm-hmm. um, in a way that's scalable. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and as a um, as an attendee, I enjoyed the event, and I uh, um, you know thank you for thank you for your service. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the response to that is. It like I I or like mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> like uh, and, uh, and yeah, and all you know, because of it. Yeah, very clearly, so much um, like so much just uh, you know blood, sweat, and tears that just poured into it. And yeah. I think it with a lot of people from a lot of, you know, I mean, we we had we had you know folks from Anchorage and yeah. uh, and you know like at least three different chapters from Montana. Yeah, uh, so it was awesome. Um, but yeah, totally. Um, thank you for talking to me about it. I'm really yeah. really glad um, that it went so well and that I got to share like a really um, fun, positive. Uh, success story for the Excellent. chapter. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we we will uh, let us accept and let us you know it's like we need it and we need our wins and let us accept them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's real. That's true. Um, one of the regular things we do on the closest thing to a formal segment on the show is we ask folks for recommendations and endorsements. So, mm. what have what have you been digging on lately, uh, comics or otherwise, that you think others uh, should check out? Um. Great question. Um, comics wise, um, there's this whole thing where it's like if you work in comics, like you're never reading comics. So I'm like really behind on a lot of stuff, but I've been reading, um, rereading Jason Aaron's run on Thor from a couple years back. Oh, yeah. Um, it's fucking incredible. Jason Aaron is actually like low key one of my favorite comics writers ever. Um, I think I have a couple of his, I got a couple of his of his trades in mm-hmm. the uh, on the bookshelf in there. Yeah, one of my the way that I discovered his work was through um, his run on Wolverine and the X Men, mm. um, which interpreted um, Quentin Quire in a way that made him my favorite character. And actually, my first tattoo was of um, the Kid Omega symbol. Awesome. Um, I just like dupe. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, Jason Aaron's Thor one run is really great, and I think that now he's doing. I don't. He's doing something for Marvel that's like this big cosmic Marvel um, insane thing, which is great, and mm-hmm. is a creator own title called Southern Bastards, um, which is incredible. Um, I'm really into Kelly C. DeConnick's new run on Aquaman. Mm. Um, it's kind of a a sleeper. Um, I don't want to say it. it's kind of a sleeper hit. I guess it's it's um it's um uh, I don't know. It's it's something different that I really enjoy. Good, different, um, different is good. Yeah, different for her, different for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like really fun. Side note, um, pardon me for interrupting, I just, mm-hmm. but I just, uh, because you mentioned Kelly Sue, mm-hmm. what did you think of the, we'll say the uh, particular tack they, um, that um, that Disney Marvel took mm-hmm. with how they made and more importantly how they promoted mm-hmm. Captain Marvel? Yeah. Ooh, that's, uh, that's um, that one hits a little close to home. I would say that I was... I expected the Captain Marvel movie to be even more like, yay, U.S. military than it actually was. So I was actually pleasantly surprised (laughs) by that. Although, yeah, the advertisement was like heavily, um, you know, the thing is, I love Kelly Sue DeConnick. She is one of my favorite comics writers. But Captain Marvel actually was never really my thing. And Mm. I, I... I I don't want to underscore its importance in comics because Kelly Sue basically made it possible for the big two houses to like have a female character with female creators at the helm of like a major title. With- and like no one expected Captain Marvel to take off the way it did and it opened the door for like so much more great shit, right? Right. It, it's it's an interesting parallel of both um, God, I just re- I'm sorry. I'm just having. I'm, I'm getting. I'm just being reminded of Carol Danvers' mm-hmm. uh, connection to Cl- to Chris Claremont. Uh-huh. And Oof. I mean, I was an X Men freak growing up, but yeah, this this this, this uh, Chris Claremont made. And I got. I, mean, I probably will cut all of this, but <laughs> all the God. It's like the um, living in the '80s, living in New York City in the '70s and the '80s, and a lot of, with a lot of money. Yeah, and certain picadillos. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> there there was a Hellfire Club uh, plotline in Classic X Men for a reason, folks. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, but uh, scrolling back, but the but 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 about Captain Marvel, but it's the thing of like not only um, like that kind of character, both you know, it opened the door, right? And but as a major thing, but also that you you now have a. And I don't know what the term, what the in, what the lore term for mm. is, but effectively you have a a cosmic level, right? Uh, someone who has got cosmic level, you know, um, abilities, or, yeah, yeah. power levels. You right. have, you have a, a, a classic Kirby Starlin, right? right. Co- uh, cosmic, uh, you know, power level mm-hmm. power user. I don't know, yeah, you know, that kind of you know that as a major character, right? One you know one one sort of wishes they could have figured out a way to do this into the MCU, which has been going on for eleven fucking years. I know before like yeah. retconning. Yeah, that was the thing about it. It just like felt I w- uh, um 
you know, on the one hand, I don't want to underscore how big a deal that comic was and how big a deal this movie is Mm -hmm. um, in terms of just like sort of like representational politics in Hollywood. Like I want a lot more. Right. I don't think it's enough. And I think it came a little too late for me to like feel the thrill of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, like Captain Marvel wasn't ever really for me. I have a really um, personal antagonistic relationship with the military and the Air Force in particular. So, you know, I'm just not its audience. But um, uh, I do hope that its success, which it was really successful, Mm -hmm. will sort of, like, help um, make more room for a lot of stories. I mean... um, Spider-Verse was one of those things where it's like, um, uh, I hope that uh, people don't come for me. I think that Spider-Verse was like a pretty much perfect movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that is the thing. It's like, thank God it was animated because otherwise, how the hell could it? Well, that's the the thing. And I will say this. I have not actually seen it yet. Oh my God, it's so good. But it's it's animated until like that, which which means like, you know, that's the only, you know, it's like, how the hell do you get something like that made by a major studio? And like, yeah, you have to animate it. That's it. Well, that's, and the thing is, I just like, the MCU really isn't for me. It's like, I liked three MCU movies, basically. I'm a bit of, uh, I'm a bit of an asshole. Um, and I have, um, unfairly high standards for big budget Hollywood movies. And I'm just like so tired of like this sort of like realistic portrayal kind of idea. Like, what if superheroes was real? Like, I actually don't really give a shit. Um, and that's, that's part of why you get like this veer, you know, the U S military pours so much fucking money into those Marvel movies. Yep. Like that is why they are possible. Yep. And that pisses me off. And I, it's like very, um, exhausting and sad to me, um, that that is the case. Um, there's a, a connection point between, um, Getting more people who are into comics and who make comics, right? Um, using that as a as a vector to kind of yeah. like slowly, uh, uh, slowly like kind of like uh, breach, not breach, uh, in like introduces you know just a little bit, you know, just crack the door and get that little bit of like anti imperialism in through there, <laughs> and yeah. Then slowly, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you know the storyline of Captain Marvel was like this. It, it was a little bit like trying to be like, actually, Empire is bad, but, you know, only when it's like only these when it's aliens, a, when it's their empire, when it's the U.S. Empire, like fighting an alien empire, like then it's fine. Yeah, I don't. It's it's a little bit of a mixed message there. Um, but, and, oh, yeah. but didn't you know um, foreign influence on domestic <laughs> elections are bad? <laughs> <laughs> and it's always only foreign inter and it's all- and only they can possibly mm-hmm. in you know fuck with our elections. Yeah, it's not like the US has ever fucked with uh anyone else's elections in you know the past 100 years or so. What did you oh, um side note uh, if sorry to interrupt you but what did you think of Ragnarok? That was my favorite MCU movie. Yeah. Ra- for me it's pretty much it's Ragnarok and uh and Winter Soldier. Oh yeah, I wasn't crazy about Winter Soldier. Um, uh, I loved Ragnarok. I love Black Panther, and I actually liked the first Avengers movie. 
Um, and I actually really liked the first Thor movie. Not a lot of people like it, but I loved it. I don't think I ever actually saw it. Um, it's it, a weird movie. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. Um, mostly because I just fucking love Thor. Um, the second Thor movie was uh, a travesty, though. Um, that is what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> don't even bother. Um, but yeah. Uh, speared into a conversation about the MCU. Oh, the last thing I'll say about the MCU is that, you know, if com- if um, Marvel were a little smarter about um, their comics strategy, they might get more readers out of the MCU. But I think there's two things. I think that one, a lot of fans of the MCU are fans of the MCU. Right. There's not a whole lot of crossover. Two, I think that Marvel doesn't do a good enough job of like capitalizing on the popularity, capitalizing uh, uh, on the popularity of the MCU by taking risks in comics. What they their strategy is like to take the popularity of the MCU and then make a ton of safe bets, which is not what you need to do. Um, you need to take a lot more risks because comics are different from movies, right? And if you try to make a comic like an MCU movie, it's gonna fall like a ton of bricks. And and, and although similarly, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the it's like they need to because they're they're not averse to putting out no shortage of numbers of books, right? But um, you know, flooding the market yeah. with um, with X number of, I mean, even like how many? What they? It's like they. Um, they uh, how how much how much did they they because they I remember uh, Black Panther the the new series Black Panther but it was mm-hmm. a hit mm-hmm. even before the film uh-huh. but after the film was announced or yeah or whatever Tanahasi coats yeah Tanahasi coats mm-hmm. and then didn't they just the complete uh, from that's the thing is like I um I stopped buying glossy I stopped buying uh, yeah. floppies years yeah. ago because I was I spent five years as a field service dude. On planes, yeah. which means um, you know I can um, no way at home. I bring in flop is like I, I can only read comics in right. like in trades, in, yeah. cha- in chapter arcs. Yeah, it's, it's like you know one DVD of a show at a time, right? And um, but it's kind of like didn't they just come in and just completely like oh that, that's popular? Let, look, here, let's make six more of the, six more of these <laughs> six more of these series. Uh, you know, every month. With like roughly the same characters, sort of. Yeah, all they, at you know three ninety nine a, a shot or something. Yeah, they launched World of Wakanda, which was really interesting because um, Roxanne Gay was on that book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is um, it is a, a a perplexing strategy that they have where they'll flood the market with a number of titles and then say that well, such and such title isn't making enough pre-sales basically to justify its existence well it's like well maybe if you didn't have six fucking books out there yeah um with like the same legacy characters then uh you know uh, (laughs) if you thin the herd a little bit maybe you'd get more sales anyway um that's a long running problem but other stuff that i'm into besides comics and besides um ripping on the MCU every chance I get. I was going to say, I was going to ask you about what your what your opinion of the Wonder Woman movie was. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't. I Well, first of all, um, I really have come to loathe Joss Whedon for a number of reasons. Um, secondly, it it's another one of those things where it's like, it's not enough for me. <laughs> you know, like the sort of like corporate feminism, like rah-rah mm. thing falls really flat for me. Um, a lot of the time, like I don't see myself 
represented by that in any way. Um, and, you know, I do think that even Hollywood can do better, but we'll see what happens. I like the character scenes. Yeah, I mean, I actually, there were a number of good scenes, but it's like also just like the World War II yeah, stuff. The, yeah, the, the, the transhistoric so parts got me, got me angry. It's like, those are, it's like those are fucking conscripts, you know. Yeah, it just gets so tiresome. And it's easy, right? Like, if you put World War II in your movie, like everyone can feel good about it. Right. Or at least, well, they, and they couldn't even go that far because it was set during World War One. Oh, that's right. Which was the horrible I forgot. thing. It's like, no, these are, you know, it's like, the, it's like, wait a minute. You the know, war that fucking destroyed the world. Yeah. The World War One. you know, the, the, it's not like the, oh, the British are the good guys. No, they fucking weren't. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's kind of a thing where it's like almost, uh, it's like nobody was. Yeah. But yeah, other stuff that I'm into, um, I've been playing a lot of D&D lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Which flavor? Um, 5e. Okay. We, I, my campaign currently wrapped up Storm King's Thunder, um, and now we're in kind of like an interesting more sort of like custom campaign. I don't know where it's going yet. Um, but I'm looking to actually DM for the first time really soon. You really, really, really need to meet Nat. Oh, yeah? Yes. Cool. Um... I'm looking at DM for the first time soon, so I bought um, an anthology of one-shots called the Uncaged Anthology. Interesting. Um, which um, one of my favorite D&D podcasters had a hand in. And the anthology is a book of one-shots based on mythological um, female monsters and mm-hmm. horror stories and sort of like reclaiming um, female monstrosity. Um, from any particular, from a global or any particular pantheon? Global pantheon. Yeah, you really need to talk to Nat about this. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, you tr- uh, for many different reasons. Tr- yeah, she she's currently at celebration right yeah. now. Oh, dope! That's awesome. Yeah. Um, she also DMs two two ongoing weekly campaigns. I think. Nice. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I would love to meet Nat. But yeah, so this anthology is really awesome. I cannot wait to do my first one shot out of it. And the podcast that turned me onto it is called D Twenty Dames. Um, it's a family friendly, like all women, mm-hmm. um, real play D and D podcast. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I'm into. And I've just been um, basically all of my remaining free time that isn't spent writing or doing DSA stuff um, or walking my dog mm. um, is being spent playing Breath of the Wild. Which I bought as a present for my husband a year ago, and he never picked it up. So now I am playing it, and I'm obsessed. How um, how much of the game have you been playing with the motorcycle? Uh, I don't have a motorcycle. Oh, you don't have the oh, you don't have the DLC. I just started. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have. Uh, yeah. I, I that's one of the things that that would be the game that I would get a switch for right now. Uh huh. Um, Rachel's uh, the, Rachel's sister's family has one, so I'll, oh, I'll, nice. And, I'll, and I, so like every couple months, I'll play a couple hours. Oh, that's it's awesome. Like, I really need this, but it's a trap. Yeah. No, I love our switch it's like the first time we've had like a current game system mm-hmm. we always are like a generation behind because it's cheaper you mean you mean like the P- the ps3 right yeah. over there that i bought because <laughs> yep. it was cheap and i wanted to play re- uh runners play uh, red dead redemption yeah exactly um this is our first time having a current system and i'm fucking loving it it's a problem <laughs> yeah yeah there's a um my um I uh I have the I have a high end video card in that thing, so I just nice. finally just beat Subnautica after playing Ooh. it for way too long, and 
it makes an effect uh having two monitors mm. one to play in within then stop and then because you're cutting a podcast audio in the other one <laughs> like listen oh you know hit pause okay uh-huh. <laughs> cut this edit this do whatever yeah after a couple of years of editing podcasts that's actually a great strategy i wish i'd thought of it <laughs> it's no it, it it makes things a heck of a lot more there's probably something there's probably something dark in the um in the whole like needing two screens of stimulation. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of a thing where I were um but yeah. Listening to yourself talk for hours though while editing can truly be um a bit of a mind fuck though. Yeah, if you uh folks uh, if you think you hate your voice now, <laughs> try editing it for four or five hour stretches at a time. Yeah. Have you heard, um, speaking of podcasts and, and D&D, have you heard, I believe one of our, uh, a, uh, one of our, uh, one of our comrades actually makes a show called DM of None? Ooh. <laughs> because at the live Chapo show last year, afterwards, a bunch of us were hanging out and one of the people who hanging out there was, t- that Nat was talking to, turns out, yeah, he's, he makes his own, uh, is one of our members, I think his name's Rob, um, he makes a show just called DM of None that's about, um, being a dungeon master. Oh, I do need to check that out. Um, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The small world. Yeah. Side note, um, just a bit of a follow-up question. Um, you mentioned the Air Force. Oh, hmm. Um, did, did, see, was it just like a, like a particular, like a personal story or? Um, yeah, I have, um, military in my family. Ah, okay. That's basically as far as I'm willing to talk about that. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a great experience. Gotcha. Yeah. I was very, very, very close to attending the academy uh, when I was uh, was going through the pro- the uh, the application process, yep. junior, senior year in high school. And yep. then um, I had passed everything except for my physical fitness test because I was kind of too lazy to train for it, shockingly. Mm. And got home uh, got home from go- just running, just running, jogging out in the, like a cold December was it October? It's got to be like December. It's cold December day in uh, back home in Michigan. Mm, wow. And I was just hating it to death. And like that yeah. day was the day that the acceptance letter to the University of Michigan College of Engineering came. Mm. And like, okay, I'm going to say, I guess I'll, you know, because I was just going to go to get an engineering degree from the academy. Oh, yeah. I was like, screw it. I'm going to Ann Arbor instead. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the military is that, you know, it's a ticket to the middle class for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But at what cost? Yeah. We know the cost. Yeah, that's the kind of thing about, which is, I mean, that's actually it. Actually, no, that's that's actually a good hook too. Because I was going to save the, um, just the, the the function of the military role, and just that it, it almost acts like an escape hatch for just right. how many like you know queer and trans kids. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. And which is it's like which is the kind of thing. It's like yeah, people are like yeah, but no one should have to go in the military. It's like well, that's kind of true, but yeah. like you know, order of operations, folks. And like until we have right. some other venue to get folks out, yeah. Um, what are we gonna do? What are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I would prefer not to send our queer and trans kids off to die um, in order for them to feel like they have a safe place to become adults mm-hmm. or uh, relatively safe. I mean assault rates for queer women particularly in the military are um absurdly high i mean just um criminally high um but yeah yeah because it's, what- it's a tough it's a tough thing to talk about i love people and i understand why people make that choice mm-hmm. and i don't judge them or fault them for that but i wish that we had a better option for them yeah
folks have any questions about uh, questions for you or oh. even about like how to, uh, your experiences on, on doing one of these things, because this sure wasn't the last one. This sure won't be the last one. <laughs> yeah. Um, how can fo- uh, how can folks get a hold of you? My main social media is Twitter. Mm-hmm. I technically quit Twitter this year, but if my DMs are open and if people DM me with good faith questions, I still get notifications on my DMs. Oh, good. My Twitter is at worm with a Y. So W Y R M underscore ebooks. Um, yeah. Very good. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's where you can find me online. Excellent. And if anybody has any, uh, questions or comments, uh, you can always hit up us at we are at uh, giving the mic at gmail.com on uh, Twitter is at giving the mic facebook.com slash giving the mic uh, and because we're a leftist podcast we of course have a patreon that you too can help us uh, help support us make the show or at least help with like you know bandwidth costs and whatnot um, <laughs> you can, uh, check that out at uh, patreon.com slash giving the mic. I can't really think of anything, anything really uh, left to do. Oh, uh, shout out to Noah. Uh, hi, Noah. Thanks for thanks for listening uh, to the show. And um, Noah is my partner's ne- a nephew. Oh, cute. Who, for some reason, she lets listen to this show. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, all right. And other than that, uh, any final words? I wish I had something punchy to say. And uh, yeah, I don't. But uh, I don't know. Tear it all down. There we go. All right. Uh, Good night, everybody. (laughs) And that's it. Yay, that was really fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. People always ask, like, can we swear on here? And we're like, yeah, we fucking require it. <laughs> um, and um, according to the uh, the text that she sent me, she she uh, he wanted me to uh, shout him out okay. on at some point during the recording. So cool. I even like wrote myself a little note. Nice that we have to. Um, oh, can you grab a pair uh, pair of head pair of headphones? Because everybody who goes on mic should always be listening to themselves. Sure. Just, uh...
from like college radio rules. <laughs> there we go. Let's turn you down. We don't need mic number three. Here we go. Okay, how's it sounding? I can't hear anything. Okay. Um, where is? You know, adjust this. Adjust the little knob here. Okay. That's your. That should be your headphone volume. Can you hear anything? No. No. Uh, the, no the, uh, the the one next to it. This one? Yeah. Can you hear anything? Oh, yeah. All right, good. But yeah, this lovely lovely studio assortment from about a year's worth of um, Goodwill and uh, hitting up the used music shop nice. at over at Old Town Music and Craigslist and uh, at least one pawn shop from Aloha. Nice. For the board. And it just kind of um, comes together. Yeah, it's a great setup. Yeah. Um, I guess what I uh, what I want to do with the show is because I was just because I took I was able to get maybe talk to like six or eight people uh, last week. And so I figured uh, have you on just to talk about it. What it was like to put it together, mm. put it together from the Portland side, but also um, how you felt um how you felt it went mm -hmm. and um you know what should be done you know what should be done next and it's kind of like what you know what have we learned that can apply to mm -hmm. when we have to do the big national convention because mm -hmm. at some point um i don't know well then again that's, that's the, well that's part of the kicker is that except for maybe a couple communication channels there's not really a lot of like mm -hmm. intra ch you know inter chapter chatting about it right um because I'm kind of, it's one of those things where you get the idea of, or I got the idea of like how much is um, at the convention, how much is because of, uh, is people going to come together and completely, I want to say not even like, not just like vote out, but completely mm -hmm. try to attempt to change mm -hmm. like the, you know, like the national structure. Because mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where, yeah, we were a, uh, you know, this group was well, was literally, well, literally a glorified, you know, I don't know how you can be a, literally a glorified thing, but, you know, the, the glorified book club for decades. Right. And then guess what? Uh, things changed and uh, scale, so did scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so um, we ask folks for like recommendations and endorsements. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. Normally, normally I have co-hosts here, but mm -hmm. the two that were here uh, had already put in their... Fuck four hours today. <laughs> Damn. Um, well, three and a half. But yeah, we started. Uh, our guest was recording a like a YouTube video or something and got delayed. Ah. So we're just in here. They were just in here talking about X Files for a while. <laughs> and um, it's a good use of time, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> and of course, once when, when our guest found it because he's like he's thirty nine and he mm. was you know you know nerdy bookish Marxist dude. Right. When he uh, when he found out when he found out about that they were talking about the X-Files. He, of course, wanted to talk about it, too. So they then talked about the X-Files, like, on the show for another 20 minutes. And they want to come back in so they can, you know, do an entire ep an entire show about the X-Files. So yeah. it's been going on for a, a while today. <laughs> okay. 